Today, we've got an in-depth interview with the founder of GreatestCopywriterAlive.com on finding marketing and copywriting gold in pro wrestling, UFC, and other unlikely sources in pop culture in one of the most intriguing conversations I've had around the topic in the entirety of this show's history. You definitely don't want to miss this one, so don't you dare change that dial or drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm... Others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back. How do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shatter the Mold. Andrew S. Kaplan, really excited to be here with you today. We've got really one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had on this show, and uh, the the level of depth that we go into is just amazing. But before we get there, quick update on my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, continuing to find its way into the hands of new readers. And I appreciate everyone who has picked up the book, everyone that's left those five-star reviews, everyone that's emailed me letting me know how much you're appreciating the content. Thank you for all that. Uh, I, I'm just grateful beyond words. Anyone that has not checked out the book yet, you can feel free to do so by going to lastlawofattractionbook.com. And that's going to auto forward to the Amazon listing where you can get it in Kindle or paperback or audiobook. And the audiobook is also available on Audible and Apple Books. But if you don't want to pull out your wallet, you are more than welcome to go to youtube.com slash Cap, where I've got a lot, and I mean a lot of free content devoted to the book that I'm putting up every single day. So by all means, feel free to check that out. But with that said, let's switch up mics and dive into one again, one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had on the show. Uh, here's me and Adel chatting up about copywriting. I am super excited for today's guest. And uh, it's very interesting, you know, you, you almost got a you got a hunt to find them. But when you do, you've basically got yourself access to gold. And uh, Adel Marcy has been writing copy for a really long time here. And it's funny, we were having a conversation before I hit the record button. Um, you know, I was asking like, hey, I've heard that you've sold over $500 million worth of of stuff for your clients through your sales copies. Like, well, actually it's updated. It's uh, it's 1.2 billion, but let's say 821 million because I can only prove the 821 million. So I just, I love the fact that we've got such a, it's like I can only prove um, close to a billion dollars. So let's go with that one. But I think that is a, a perfect indicative response or, or indicator of the level of caliber that we've got on the call today. And I love talking to copywriters because they have a, a unique insight into the human psyche and it creates such interesting conversations. And, you know, based on other research I've done, I mean, you'll get this in our conversation, but he's got a huge skill for taking complex formulas and ideas and just basically whittling them down so they're so simple that anyone can apply and use them, which is a big deal because he also shows people how to write copy. So without any further ado, we'll, we'll just dive on in. Adel Marcy, thank you so much for being here, my friend, and welcome to Shatter the Mold. Thank you, Andrew. Dude, it's great to speak to you. I mean, like, speak, like, I was so excited to talk to talk to you that when you're like, yeah, come on, my was like, oh, my God, yes, immediately. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I love having these conversations, like I said, and, um, you know, I always give full disclosure to the audience. We had such an interesting conversation pre-interview, just getting to know each other. And we talked all things. We talked about UFC. We talked about WWE. We talked about all these Wonder things. And I think that would be schools. even a fun way to begin a conversation because you had this very unique insight that most people don't even shine a spotlight on in that there is copywriting gold. There is sales and human psychology strategy gold 
in the wrestling industry, in the way with which they present their stories and they present their talent and they present their, their, their shows. And I was wondering, just to kind of hand it over to you to expound on that, like where do you really spot that impact and how do you even apply it to your copy when you're working with clients? Well, sorry, my brain looks just whittled off to the side there. So essentially just repeat the last bit of the question again. I know, yeah, like, well, just curious time. about, you know, knowing what you know about the, the wrestling industry, where do you see its benefits towards writing copy and oh, okay. sales psychology? Oh, dude, like the storylines are incredible. Like the specific time I tell people to study anything, there are two areas of wrestling that I would recommend anyone study. Number one, we, you and I have already talked about it, is the Attitude Era, of course, everything from 1995. Uh, and I don't just mean WWF, I'm actually talking about WCW. Like, watch both shows from 1995 to 2003. That was the golden era, like the end of the Alliance storyline. As soon as that kind of dissolved into it, they split the brand to Raw and SmackDown. You had ECW coming in. It just, it got weird. It, for me, it just became too different. But up until, I'd say 2002, 2003, the storylines for that eight-year period were brilliant in WWF. And then WCW had a really great hook from 95 to 99. Like mm -hmm. that four-year run where Sting was like, it was good versus evil. And it was amazing. And by the way, the reason I say that is one era of wrestling I'd study. The other golden era is actually the mid-80s. Um, mm -hmm. leading up like the Hogan era, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Sting is actually in that era as well, more as um, Beach Boy Sting, of course, part of like, I think he was, I can't remember his tag team, but he was basically in a really good tag team as well. You had the early days of Shawn Michaels. You had basically everyone's early career and you saw them come up through that rank. The reason that you study these people is because A, they had staying power, Secondly, you see how they transform in multiple iterations and how they keep themselves original. Undertaker's a perfect example. The Undertaker through to who he was from the beginning to the very end of his career. He went through different iterations, but he was always the dead man. Like that gimmick never went away. The gimmick of the dead man was always him. No yes. matter how it changed, he became like this supernatural undead person to an element of just pure badass. And then, like, toughness embodied. And, like, that yeah. was just basically him. So you look at how that works out, and what you can do is you look at exactly the processes that these people went through, the character design, the drive, the everything. And not only does it give you more of an appreciation, but it also ends up giving you a lot more credence to how you can take those same storylines and start building them inside your copy sequences. So, for instance, you can write an entire 15 to 30 email sequence there's basically one season of wrestling or TV, like 30 emails, get it out. And it's 30 concepts. And that is one month storyline for one of the characters that you have in the main continuity of your story. This could be like happening to you as your main character, uh, as you're basically giving this is the element of your life, because that's background noise. And then you create your hero. Your hero is Johnny Everyman or Susie Everywoman. I don't really care to make the names. But basically, you put them in those two areas and you write emails specifically for the, these two people for the audience to fall in love with. You write their adversities, their bad guys. You basically turn them into concepts. Because if you really want to look at what concepts look like from a wrestling perspective, WCW versus NWO in the WCW. What was the concept in that? What was the core concept? Yeah, well, it was, it was kind of like establishment versus the new unpredictable rebellious blood. 
That I would say would be more initially, yes, but I'd say that's more DX. Mm, mm-hmm. I'd actually say that was more good versus evil. Mm, gotcha. Like, I agree. The NWO were like this dark entity. And again, like WWF did it better. I mean, if you really look at it, WWF had uh, the Attitude Era, DX, in response, WCW creates the NWO, really creates this like power dynamic that is recruiting half the wrestlers that are using fear tactics and like basically being bullies as a way of getting against the good guys. It's good versus bad, it's good versus evil. Or it's good versus bad. And then you had WWF take the Ministry of Darkness and the corporation and take on the rest of the good guys. Now you had evil versus good. And you can see how that is a core concept that both companies really used. And they used it at different varying degrees. Now taking the rebellion versus establishment, you still had that. That had to exist before the evil came in. Because it needs to have a pre-existing battle before it, before it ex- escalated. So the way you can take that is what is the evil in your client's life? What mm. is the evil that, that they're running away from? What is the big bad that really controls them? And then what's the good that really takes them forward? Like what is the good that comes in their life that is them, that is supporting them, that is keeping them going through things? Because as far as it goes, you're the stable mate. You're not the main guy. You're the stable mate. You are the mankind to their rock. You need to do that kind of rock and salt connection with your audience through your email sequences is a way of getting people to stay on board and stay in long term. If you're thinking on how this works with direct response sales, copyright, long form pieces, and even like content on Facebook and other social media channels, or even shows like this, you create a narrative, you create a bad guy, you create something that your audience can root against and cheer for. And that's essentially what wrestling gives you. And then it shows you when you're studying these characters, how they're able to like mold who they are from good guy to bad guy and, back again i mean do you know actually i'll ask you who do you think is the most consistently loved character in wrestling Ooh, that's a tough one i mean, i would say I either hulk hogan or the rock no neither hmm neither they were both hated oh you oh so you mean from a from a good guy perspective that that type of thing yeah. from a from a heel and baby face. face yeah heel and baby face who has consistently been, even when they were a heel, they were a loved heel. I mean, I would put Stone Cold in that in that field definitely. And I wouldn't. <clears throat> Again, <clears throat> Stone Cold doesn't qualify. The Rock called him an asshole, and at one point, we cheered for Vince against Stone Cold. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So you've got me stumped. Sorry, my voice is going weird. Uh, okay, so. You'll actually get them right away as soon as I give you the first couple. Because there's like five I can think of. Sting. Mm-hmm. Sting has always been a fan favorite. Even when he was like, he went heel in his later career. Which I don't really count. But like in those years, he was still loved. Like he came back um, last year. Like during COVID, he came back during one of the shows. Um, or it was earlier this year. Basically, he came back and the Stinger... Actually, it was this year. The Stinger had like such a huge pop in the audience that was incredible. You're like, even so many years later, he's still loved. So Sting goes in that top, in that in that position for me. The other ones, the other one that a lot of people, I don't think, actually, I'd like to think of a time, and please tell me if there was a time because I feel like there was. Mankind. Hmm. I don't think Mankind has ever been the bad guy. 
Oh, he's he's been a heel. It's funny. I think it's really interesting. I think a lot of times we forget because he had such a big run as a good guy. He was he was um when he first came into WWF as as Mankind. That yeah, whole thing with the mask that that was a heel bit. Yeah. Yeah, but the the funny is even then because I've watched those matches, I've seen those like buildups. Mm. He wasn't really a heel. He was kind of like the loner outsider that would just attack. He was more like a homeless dude. Yeah, more than anything, he was yeah. like the vagrant guy. Like he lived in the room. He'd fight you in there. He'd always sneak attack you. But realistically, he wasn't a threat. Like no one was scared of him. Mm. He was also he's very distinct too. He was very distinct in who he was, which yeah. I think also speaks to to the lessons about copy. And exactly. really, just as a quick side commentary, I think it, it's really intriguing because when you said that wrestling, there's there's copywriting gold in there. I made these connections, but at no point did I say, wow, it's actually the good versus evil. And the the fact that when someone has a problem they need to solve from their perspective, even if they can't verbalize it or articulate it, it's evil. It's it's them against this horrible thing that they're trying to get past. And I love the way you found that parallel. Like me, when you said wrestling is copywriting gold, I'm thinking of like strategically and branding, like, okay, they have catchphrases, they have common movements, they have things that people know to expect and they use that to anchor their psychology and play on their emotions and get them happy from there, which I think has value. I just love the way oh, you yeah, add the so- storytelling element. Oh yeah, no, I was looking at from, I go from deep rooted psychology. That's why I love it. You know, that's the time my brain is. Um, but from the other side of, your, of yours, I was actually going to bring this up, but thank you for doing so. Um, yeah, the way they do it is their signature moves or signature phrases or the signatures, signature actions that gets a pop from your audience. And that could be the announcement of a sale. That could be them to expect something big every so often. And the really one of the best parts that people don't understand is the WWE or even every wrestling network, specifically WWE, what they do is they adapt faster than anyone else to new technology and new knowledge. The moment it's out there, they find a way. So when they figured out that they had to constantly keep advertising their next event while the one that they had just fulfilled had happened, like they were already onto the next thing telling you that there's something greater coming. Mm-hmm. Like they never once not sold you on something and they'd give you a week's rest. So the way they would do it is they'd do the big pay-per-view on the weekend Monday night, back at it. But they wouldn't sell you on the next pay-per-view for another week. Because right. they, the way they would do it is they knew you'd want to know what happened to your favorite character. Where do they go next? So they had to keep building that bridge and pipeline for the next event. Expect them to go somewhere else. Do they bounce back? Do they have a redemption arc? Mm. Do they have a turn heel? Do they go on a run? Do they lose face with people? Do they like emotionally change? And again, I'm talking from story perspective, but if we look at from like move sets, from being a wrestler in the ring, you can create a character, you can embody it, you can write from that perspective, you can actually go out and share these grandiose stories that you've scripted prior and have your main character, your avatar, your clients, uh, the people reading your emails, those people, they can be the rock. They don't have to be the fans, but they can be the wrestlers. You get to be the company. Yeah. So that's another way of looking at it. But if you want to be the wrestler, then what you do is you attract your own stable. So you start making your audience feel like they're part of your DX crew, like they're part of the D Generation X. They are part of your people. They email into you. You guys talk about stuff. You have strategic moments. You like let them in on private webinars and ask me anything events that you host for your audience. 
This is powerful, by the way, because it'll give you a really good financial income to build off of. But where it's going to stop you is scaling. You're going to have a problem scaling because you got to keep going up through the ranks. Triple H is a perfect example. Triple H started off as a wrestler, a terrible names, and then finally broke through with a Triple H gimmick. And then when he did that with Shawn Michaels, he got burned for years for the whole, um, the cousin called that, that whole situation. He got burned for years in the locker rooms, as like people can see. Um, and then he made his way through the company, fell in love with the boss's daughter. They ended up getting married. Now he pretty much runs WWE. Yeah. Like he runs the company that he once part, or he was once part of. But the thing that he did strategically was he built alliances within inside stablemates and made decisions that allowed him to, to propel his own positions higher while also bringing up his teammates. He was the mouthpiece, not the most eloquent mouthpiece, by the way, but he was. And then he would always bring up the road dog, expat, uh, badass Billy Gunn. He'd bring everyone up until they couldn't hold their own weight anymore. And then the stable basically dissolved and he got the push. Right. So to drive this home, what's the parallel in terms of business? Like where, where do we use this and, and leverage it for our scaling and, and this example? How, how can Look people at use how, okay. From that example. So I'm going to break this down really simply into a two, like two sections. So part one, if you're the wrestler and you're trying to build a business that is basically very company driven, isn't like, Hey, it's driven by the people around me. I want to have like, Uh, I want to have my people next to me. That's what it is. Think about building a persona that people can not only get behind, but can be friends with. Get them to mail in, get them to talk to you, get them to speak to you on your show, build your stable mates, build them up and let them build you up. Grow this little syndicate of people and that will allow you to build a really strong business. Now, as you keep going, you got to leverage over to the other side. By the way, to do the whole thing, find people that you can work with that have the morals and ethics that you do that have the same sense of humor and essentially email your list very frequently as if they're part of these ongoings and invite them. By inviting people in, you naturally end up becoming a good friend with them, but sell them stuff. You got it because that's what you want. Strategic alliances, uh, harmony between affiliates, things of that nature. Sort of, but also at the same time, it's um, just audience participation more than anything else. Now, as you go through that and you want to scale it up even further, the way that you do this is quite simple. I think I've just knocked my camera slightly. I apologize. So um, the way way that you actually build it up slightly different, like the way that you build it up out of that into something greater is, of course, you have your own products. You sell because you are your own product. But what you sell is you go into the business side of it or like on the higher end you start escalating to the way that Vince and Triple H ran their freaking businesses way better. They were always announcing the next launch. They were trying to get people involved. They were doing crowd control. They were giving the audience someone to cheer against and someone to chant for. But at the same time, they were building up those original stable mates that you had inside of you. They basically created characters out of them and allowed the audience to either step into those characters and feel like they were those characters through stories or they felt like they could relate to the villain of the story that they were actually locking horns with a bad guy. And you can essentially say that with, if you want an example, it could be um, the good guy, the rock in this example for me would be, uh, actually the undertaker would be resiliency, having resiliency in the face of everything kind of coming against you. The bad is adversity in life. And it could be an event that just happened to you. So you can talk about an email that is um, something along the lines of, the subject line would be, um, what was it? 
the toll as the toll uh, as the bells toll could be the mm. subject line and then immediately like sits up from uh, sits up as life is throwing dirt on him dot 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 hey they thought i was dead life had given up on me and they were throwing dirt into my grave at this exact moment i said no more i sat up and shot up i could hear the undertaker's debt like uh bell tolls in the background as i sat up and stood up and i thought not today not today am I going to get completely destroyed by my, and then you give your bad guy, which is anxiety or, un, what, was it? It, what was it, insecurity or self-confidence being low or self-esteem non-existing, whatever your big bad is, or like whatever it is that's coming for you and you go, not today. These were not going to bury me. Wow. And then you run from there. So a parallel that I'm drawing here and hearing this, not that it's the only way of doing it, but one way is... You're literally through your your sequence, your autoresponder sequence of emails. It's like an ongoing soap opera where you are entertaining and teaching within the confines of that email, but also teasing what they can do right then and what they've got coming up next. So my exactly. thing where some people say, like, in my next email, I'm going to talk about blah, blah, blah. But in the meantime, if you want to get this fixed, one thing you want to do is click on XYZ and do ABC. Exactly. It's a huge thing, but I would like just to give highlight to the person that created the term so far for a sequence, the one and only Andre Chaperone. I do love his work. It's brilliant. And I've already said in a video that I'm releasing soon, um, he essentially goes into this whole process of how to break down, like how to do so far for sequences in different businesses. For a real long time, it only worked in certain markets because not everyone had adapted to this kind of way of thinking, but now they have. So it, it'll work a little bit more effective. Now, there are other ways of doing this, and you can pick up Andre's stuff if you want, but like specifically, it just comes down to the principles of writing copy. As long as you keep people on the wheel by showing them what comes next, you can get them going. You don't have to announce what's going to come in the next email, by the way. You can always finitely finish your email, have a call to action, and then go into the next thing, like right. in the next email. And it doesn't have to always follow the same character, and this is something that a lot of people don't teach you is you can have Monday, Wednesday, Friday, main storyline, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, secondary storyline, Sunday, conclusion of both. Hmm. So Mondays, you only talk about the big bad and how the big bad and you are locking horns and your character is actually struggling and like your audience who feels like their character, that they're struggling and they're like facing this thing. And then Tuesday, it's about mindsets. We're in the back of the room where they're thinking about what's going on in their world and how they can get better. Or maybe they've just called out the big, uh, maybe they called out another big bad that just hit them out the side of the head where they didn't realize they were there, like, you know, an illegal chair shot. Right. Now what yeah. do you do next? Essentially, you can run, sorry, you can run both of these things simultaneously and have a conclusion at the end of the week and build out of these over time. And you can change yeah. it. You can change it anytime. Yeah. So let's, let's make an assumption here. Let's assume that someone hearing this right now, they're, they're on board and we'll also assume they're not hiring some, somebody to do this for them. So they're going to take this on themselves. Yeah, kind of thinking ahead, I think for some people, it will feel daunting that all of a sudden they have to write an email every single day or, or a lot. Do you have any any tips or insights or, or words of wisdom you would want to offer people that make it that it feels daunting to them that it feels overwhelming for them? I'm one of them. I get overwhelmed. Like I don't mail my list every day at the time of recording this, but I'm actually building up to that because I'm like closing. I've got other client things that I just need to get off and done and then I can start looking at my own business. But his where it's um, really interesting, where it really just comes down together. First of all, redefine what value means in your own head. 
Mm. A lot of people think value means I have to give something that someone can apply or buy or blah, 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 or whatever it is. Here's what value means. You've changed someone's life for the more positive. Did you make them smile? Did you make them feel happy? Did you bring a, Did you make them feel like they were the best in the world? Did you challenge them? Did you help them grow? What was it that you did that impacted them for the better through a story, a parable, an idea, even a short question to get them thinking? Send those. It doesn't have to be a long email. It could be a very short email. It could be something as simple as a tweet as an email. And that could literally be something along the lines of, um, <clears throat> your subject line to that could be uh, odd opinion like what was it reply back to me this is serious and then the first thing is like hey uh, like hey Andrew real quick what time like what was the decade like when you were a when you were between the ages of 10 between the ages of 5 and 10 or even 7 and 14 uh, or even 7 and 12 actually between the ages of 7 and 12 um, let reply back to this email and let me know who you wanted to be, like who you thought you were in that show and who you wanted to be. Speak soon, Adam. Done. Sent that. Very short email, concise. Mm-hmm. People respond back, great. People don't respond, great. But people look at that and they think, huh, who was I? I'm making you think. I'm changing your perspective. And then the next email could be something along the lines, of, and the email could end with, oh, P.S., if you're wondering what I'm doing, Click here to watch this video. Um, well, explain a little bit more. They click that link, they go to a video, and the video goes into just like, yeah. So when you're thinking about designing superpowers and characters, you've got to like build out this entire audience system and actually know exactly what people are thinking. How you create these psychological data points is by understanding what your audience wants. So a simple question like, what type of cartoon, like who did you relate to as a teenager, allows you to really understand what you relate to. Now, if you're watching this because you clicked on the email on day number one, um, Watch out for the next couple of emails because they're really going to go into this. If not, you can keep watching this video as I'll explain a little bit more. You hook them in, you keep them going, you stay on the Ferris wheel at the end of it. You just say, I designed an entire program and system, as I have, that is around this pro- this process. Uh, if you want it, click the button below, get on the early bird list. They join a new mailing list, now they're on the early bird list. Or you can actually sell them right then and there by saying, um, this isn't going to go live until this date, but you can get it at this price while we're waiting and building so like you lock mm-hmm. yourself in as one of my first students um which also means you get feet like you get the first video and if it sucks you get to let us know and we get to change it so not that this is the only way of doing this not that this no, is the only no, vehicle but i hear you say that and you're asking people to give themselves the the gift of redefining what value might mean and it yeah. seems like a great delivery system for this is just pattern interrupts, whether they're small or large. Like, what can you do to pattern interrupt your audience in that email that's going to get them to think or smile or whatever else might be? Yeah, just offer that level of value. Could be something else. I mean, if you want to be strategic about it, yeah, by all means, you're going to get some data points out of it. But do it for fun. When you communicate for fun on that type of on that kind of thing, you get people all day coming to you. And if you run out of content and you don't know what to say and you have any kind of content you created previously, go back to like 20 emails ago and just copy and paste it in and send it out as another email. Believe it or not, people will actually not know that it's the same email. Some people will, some people (laughs) won't. And if they don't, cool. If they do, send them a private email, like a private message. It's like, hey, thanks for checking that out. I'm glad that you're a reader of mine. As a thank you for pointing this out to me, I'm going to send you something. I, I don't even remember the product, which is crazy how it is. But I remember 
um, years back, I bought like some marketing strategy product. And then three or four years later, I bought it again because the sales letter was so good, but it was described in a different way. I didn't realize I was buying the same thing. So um, I I think it's funny how the, the power of your message will even transcend someone's ability to remember that they even bought something from you already. Oh yeah. Massively. Yeah. So a uh, question about this, obviously you're, you're talking about this within the confines of, you know, if emails themselves, in your opinion, given, you know, just your level of expertise and experience, are there direct parallels with publishing on YouTube, Facebook lives, things like that? Or are there differences that people need to be cognizant of on the different platforms that they try to market in that way? Yeah. So when it comes down to different platforms, you have like different things to consider, for instance, in terms of attention span. So I like a guy called Andrew Schultz, because Andrew Schultz basically figured this out for the comedy marketplace. And it's something I'm bringing over to my own video style is trying to keep videos sub seven, uh, sub five minutes. But if I go to like 10, like I want to keep it below 10. Essentially, I want to keep it like in the seven to eight minute range at the lowest, at the longest. The reason being is, yes, it can go on for absolutely length, blah, 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 but I want to keep people's attentions very, very quickly. And again, because I have ADHD, I want to keep my own attention. So doing short videos and short bursts allows me to produce more content over short spaces of time, even if it breaks down like a 15-minute piece into three videos that get released uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for instance, that works better because it spaces out, but it's continuous. Now, the difference with YouTube is, and this is what I'm going with, is with YouTube, if you have a scheduled time that you release, that's actually better for you because it works like a TV show. People expect it, YouTube expects it, and actually starts pushing your channels, sorry, starts pushing your videos up because it's consistency. It's like, this is something that other people will be searching for. So of course we're gonna keep it relative, that's one. Two, which becomes very powerful, is that once you have this entire idea kind of nailed down about, Oh, sorry, about when you're actually posting in and actually getting your videos out there, you can schedule them so you can batch record and schedule them for like a month and then, you know, batch record and do that every single weekend, like one weekend a month uh, where you do everything that's brilliant. Um, when you're looking at Facebook, you don't really have a time pattern for Facebook lives or for, you can do it for Facebook lives, but for Facebook posts, you don't really have a time pattern. And also um, when you're doing Facebook posts, look at what gets engagement and don't just talk about yourself, but bring other people in. Because when you do that, you start getting recognition on a wider scale and people start commenting and coming into your world. For instance, one of the strangest posts that actually did well for me was when I asked people, um, uh, shit, what was it? I, it was one of those strange ideas. Uh, I was like, what's your strangest idea that you've had? And like, I had a load of people like comment underneath it. Um, did another one in, uh, if you can go back and change one thing, what would you change? If you could keep everything consistent, what would it be? Just little tiny things like that. If you could change one little aspect, what would it be? If you had a you know, mediocre superpower, what would you do? Things like that engage my audience. Um, and then every so often I hit it with like a bigger piece of like a long value post or um, come work with me or some sort of promotion. The reason being not everyone that likes and comments is everyone that sees your stuff. A lot of people see it and just go, cool, I'm going to come back to this later. They just consistently see you on their feed. And because of this, you end up building depth with clients and depth with people that want to work with you. And it, it's really impactful long term uh, for a positive. Um, then you got places like Twitter. Twitter, I'm not really a fan of personally myself, just simply because it's strange. Like, it's a great place if you have a following already, but it's a weird place if you don't. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're not it's in the public, it's hard to market yourself and and get clients through that. 
Yeah, like I won't say Twitter's the client place. Twitter is for me more like if you've been somewhere that's a little celebrity statusy, that's how they'll find you. Mm. Uh, I, Instagram, I like Instagram's really good for photos and stuff. I'm terrible at Instagram marketing. I don't post that often. I don't do anything on my IG, but it's something I really want to get into, um, which I will, you know, as time goes on, because it's like another channel as I get more time of like moving it over. Um, and then, you know, you have other places, for instance, like blogs. Blogs, I absolutely still enjoy. I like reading them. I don't go on as many as I used to because people think there's a decline. There is, but there's a way to keep it entertaining. For instance, The Onion is still going. Like, mm-hmm. you have all these different places online. Like, you have, um, oh my God, what's it called? The guy that, uh, shit, I forgot Pat Flynn's website, but Pat Flynn's website as well is basically doing absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, as, what was it? Uh, smartpassiveincome.com that's another resource that you can look at and these places all write and produce content almost daily and in doing so and not even just daily some of them do it like weekly some of them do it like three times a week uh, some of them do it like monthly but essentially it's predictably that's the key part of it predictability but they build mailing lists that keep people on the ferris wheel they they might Mm. post once a month but their email list is super active and what they're doing is they're using their email list to feed all their other sources but at the same time, they're actually using those sources initially to build their email list. Hmm. So they're bringing people out of the herd into their herd, into their people, and then like converting them back out to all the places they put all their media and stuff like that. And it's a really good way of using content distribution. Yeah. Now, before moving on, one piece I just want to back on real quick, and I'm curious in your thoughts, because you're talking about like YouTube, you know, seven, eight minutes tops. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your opinion on reconciling the difference between doing that and knowing there's going to be more views and more re- receptivity to watching versus, well, if you're monetized on YouTube and you're getting paid more for that, where do you see, where do you strike the balance of, of how you would advise somebody? It depends if you, it depends how big your channel is. If you're doing like a really good thing and you're making money with AdSense, I'm never going to say no to AdSense money because you do that. But for me personally, I just look at it and go, where am I getting the biggest bang for my buck? Hmm. Is it that YouTube is literally paying me what, $20,000 a year? Maybe they're not right now, but like, let's just say that they make, they're paying you 20 grand a year to do the videos that you're currently doing, which is a lovely little supplemental income, but your clients are paying you 20 grand a month to work right. with you. Right. So what I would do is I would test against short video. Yeah, I might lose the monetization of what's going on. Keep it to a five to eight minute video. Fine. I lose the monetization, which by, by the way, you don't lose monetization because here's the beauty. If you set up your YouTube channel properly and do all your title screens and everything else properly, what you do is essentially you keep people on the Ferris wheel because they watch your next content. They watch the next content. They stay watch the next content and your stuff has ads on it anyway, at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, they'll always have an ad playing. So you'll get paid for your AdSense money anyway. But cool. here's the thing. You've now created a longer stay time and a longer wait time. And the second benefit is you also realize, even, let's just say they don't do that. Let's just take that reality away and just put in the reality. It has to be 10-minute videos at the very minimum or 50-minute videos. What you can do is very simply um, realize that if that client, like let's say like each client is worth five grand. Great. I might have lost 20 grand a year, but I've just added an extra five grand a month, every single month. So I've had, like even my clients are all paying me like combined four clients, 20 grand. 
I add 12 new clients at the end of the year if I can handle that, a five mm. grand a piece, that's an extra 60. So I've yeah. made an extra 60,000 recurring in the space of 12 months versus 20 grand because I was putting out longer videos. Yeah, it's and like again, no, this all know comes your numbers. Testing. Yeah, know your numbers and look at the testing. Where, mm. Where's your time best spent? I mean, Fair I enough. do this, like, and don't let your phone and your content become everything that is about you because a lot of people have done that. We're not in the Truman Show, guys. Go out and live life. It's allowed. Yeah. And ironically, when you're living life, you're going to have better content because you're drawing from life experience and your brain is just going to be actually functioning on a higher level in terms of examples, in terms of decisions you make, just in terms of the overall delivery of who you are when you are doing that social media or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, So um, one thing I want to check in, because we went down that rabbit hole of wrestling, which I found very intriguing. And obviously a a key thematic part of that was the whole good evil and the storytelling. Now we talk about UFC, which is, it's not predetermined. I mean, it's, it's real life stuff. Where does that come into play and how that is powerful from a copywriting standpoint and what you can use from them? Okay. From there, you're looking at, you again, look at it two different ways. You can rebuild an actual character like Chael Sonnen or like an Anderson Silva or like one of my personal favorites, Israel Adesanya, or a guy that I surprisingly, um, I get it somewhere in like, um, what I call my Havana shirt. It's not, it's just basically a simple shirt I picked up. Um, and my hair's fucking long and I've got a bid. Masvidal. Mm-hmm. is picking up that all day long if you have your hair tied back you have a bid and you wear any kind of shirt that looks like you're from miami or you've been to miami immediately that is a drawn conclusion to a lot of people right you have that so the reason why all these persons even connor who's amazing you have all these different ways of doing it and you can see how they market themselves how they build themselves up what they do in victory what they do in loss how they set themselves up for their next fights how they do everything it's all that but also look at how they use the time they have microphone time. Like Israel Adesanya wins his first fight. What's the first thing he says? Like after the fight, you can see him. He literally gets up, looks like he's opened up his pants, pulls out like a, an, like literally just flips his hand open to look like he just pulled out his dick and just starts like peeing everywhere, shakes off the air and goes, right. When they ask him the interview, he's like middleweights. I'm the new dog in the yard. And I just pissed all over your, I just pissed all over your yard. <laughs> <laughs> like that's literally the first thing he said to every middleweight day one fight one in the ufc mm. and then fight two he has the marvin vittori fight which he won by the way uh if you watch the replay and actually count it on numbers he wins and then he goes on this insane tear and like in every fight he keeps getting stronger and better and like he keeps asking for tougher and tougher competition and he makes it look simple like he just dominates and he gets better every time. So if you look at a fighter like that, he has unlimited potential. And the other thing that's really cool about him is that he focuses so much on mindset work as well. So you can root for him because he's like the every man fighter that wants to be there. Mm-hmm. Then you take that into accordance with his nerddom and how he's just so himself and how he's so authentically him. He ends up growing. So the UFC and the fighters there are more like, the authentic entrepreneurial types that are there because they're yeah. really like living and dying. Now, if you take the UFC as a business, you can actually learn a lot of lessons from them as well. You can see exactly how they build the next fight, how many fight cards they have ahead of time, how they're really showing you what everyone's doing a different thing. Their email game is not the best, but they don't have to because their content game is ridiculous because they release highlights of stuff as soon as it comes out. 
They do build-ups. They do pre-fight stuff. They do um, conflicts. They show you beef. They actually position stuff to make it seem more than it is. And then you have guys like Nate Diaz who just doesn't give a fuck. And Nate's just Nate because people love real. Yeah. Well, I think we were talking about this um, in our, our pre-interview call where I just found it uh, amazing how Nate Diaz has effortlessly positioned himself to a point where even when he loses, he grows, he gets a win out of it. His, his yep. profile and his stature raises. And it's also, it's kind of like how he lost the way he went into the fight, the way he went after it, the way there was no fear. He was never shying away from getting hit and people no. just love him. There's basically, he could do he could do no wrong at this point. He could lose his next five fights but because he's Nate Diaz and because of the way by which he's going to go about those fights, he's not going to lo- – they're still going to love him. They're still going to pay to see him. They're still going to look forward to it. I mean, you know, five fights is going to be a lot of talk and, and who knows what, but he can still get away with it. He's that hot right now. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And the crazy thing with Diaz is he just lost to Leon Edwards. And what's the only thing we're talking about? That one minute where he caught Leon slipping. Yeah. Getting his ass whooped for 24 minutes does one minute's worth of damage and that's all we talk about and mm-hmm. Nate's not effortlessly done this he did this because he was the loud guy that was always himself he was the anti-establishment and then of course the establishment has their favorite boy connor you know right so nate calls him out nate beats connor he stops the hype train connor comes back connor beats nate which i don't think he did connor goes ahead and does this crazy stuff with floyd connor comes back talks all this trash gets into a fight with khabib now, here's the thing. If Nate was in that position to fight Khabib, Nate would lose, and he would lose badly. I know he's tough, but he would never be able to beat Khabib. Just couldn't do it. Khabib's mm-hmm. too strong, too powerful, too too everything. He's just too much for nearly everyone in that division. That's why he retired. It's a good thing he went out the way he did. But Nate's star power literally reigns from the fact that he was loved by a cult and the way that cult got big was because the rest of the world got to see him beat their perceived best fighter we love connor he's the best no one can beat connor 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 got beat bad Mm. got his ass handed to him and then he got choked out yeah well i mean i kind of feel like he, he lost the second fight also but that's just me Oh, Connor did lose the second fight. That yeah. to me, he lost the second fight clearly. Um, it was a split decision, but Connor lost that. Uh, but what I'd say is, in my books, but the way I look at it is that even from that point, from Nate, he did all of that, and then when they tried to like get him to fight other people that he didn't want to fight, Nate didn't do that. Nate said no. Hmm. Nate walked away. Nate took time away from the sport, and he's still synonymous with it. Nick Diaz, perfect example. Nick hasn't fought in seven years. It's amazing. They announced Nick is coming back. Pop. So um, the parallel I'm seeing here, obviously, you know, just bringing it back to copy a little bit here, is there there really is something to be said for being who you are, and that bleeds over into anything. That bleeds over into how you tell your stories, the language you use, and I don't mean just you know profanity or not profanity, but just your your grammar style, who you are as a person, how you complete sentences. You know, I mean, I I wouldn't advise run on sentences for anyone because it's not really good for copy. But if you are a wordsmith, I mean, there's got to be a a creative way of leveraging that so that people can get that off of you. But the feeling I get from you and that I wholeheartedly agree is 
it isn't some kind of catchphrase like, oh, just be yourself and everyone will love you. It's like, no, be yourself and people can feel it. And because they can feel it, their shields are down to bullshit. And all of a sudden they're willing to listen to your message. And then if you have a good offer, now they're hearing the offer versus shutting you out. Yeah, exactly. Because you're not doing what everyone else is doing. Like you're actually positioning yourselves in a way that people love you and care about you and want to know about you. You know, it's not mm-hmm. just like, Meh. yeah, you. it's like a lot more, <laughs> a lot more now, than that. Now, this has been a fun conversation so far. We're going down different roads. Um, I think just by virtue of the fact that we've scheduled this, even though you, you said, hey, let's just free flow. Let's not even worry. But our brain creates projections and expectations. And I'm wondering, is there something that you thought you might discuss or something you were looking forward to bringing up that we haven't touched on yet? I had no projections going into this except for I was going to have fun. So That's awesome. I love I it. Really, I really don't know. But like, if you have any questions that come to mind, feel free to ask me. Like, This is your open time. Go well, I did want to give you props here um, because we, we couldn't get it together where the hope was. It, was. it was too complicated, especially just the history of my show. I've never successfully pulled it off. It would have been fun to get something on here and have someone like, critique their copy in real time. And it'd be genuine, not pre-planned or any way, shape, or form like that. But I did yeah. want to give you props because you did something as a demonstration for me um, in our in our non-interview call. And just to, for anyone listening, anyone wondering, um, Adel is the real deal. And I think um, an important piece of that, which is going to kind of segue into the next, next part of the conversation, I think it comes from blood, sweat, and tears of just being through the grind. When you put yourself through the grind and just you write so much sales copy and you make so much so many mistakes and you have so many victories through those mistakes, I think it becomes a thing where it's second nature. And I'm wondering... Yeah. Um, do you still struggle in terms of writer's block, in terms of creativity, or is it really a free-flowing place, or is it a combination and it depends on the day? It depends entirely on the day. Like, I have, I have so, like, the creative blocks I have is because I know what I can do. Mm. And that's where my blocks come in. It's like, I know I can do better, and then, like, damn it, why isn't it better? You know, the the specter of who you've already been casts the darkest shadow and the deepest shadow, because that's the thing where, you know, you could and should do better. So I get you. I, you know, I had a conversation with someone uh, the other day and he finally read my book. Um, He listened to it on audiobook, but obviously, as you know, there's a difference between hearing something and reading through it and having it take over in a certain way. And he's like, dude, this, this book, like, wow. And I told him like, yeah, wow. If you ask me to write another book, I... I don't know how I could ever even live up to it. I don't know how. And that's not to say like, I mean, even though I do have a high opinion of the book, I'm not saying it's the greatest book ever. I'm just saying the zone that I was in, the the years that I was coming off of in terms of writing copy and presenting material in a certain way that I then put into this versus now taking a year and a half off from doing it on that level. I could never, for me personally, reach that level. Just no matter what, I couldn't live up to that specter. So I know next time I do write a book, it's got to be something completely different just because it's too much. For sure. Sorry, like my camera went off there. No worries. Um, I agree. It's like one of those things that like people don't understand is that when you sit down and write copy and write advertising, and you've done it for so long, there's an expectation that comes with it. And sometimes you can't live up to it. Sometimes life just gets in the way. Yeah. And it really does come down to like, how as a person you handle adversity, how you handle change um, and how you basically adapt to it. Because the thing is you could write a secondary book and you could personally do it, but you have to recreate a lot of especially if it's something in the same vein of what you created you have to recreate a lot of the situations it's one of the same reasons that a friend of mine actually suggested to me he goes if you ever start that start to write a book 
have good writing habits beforehand and then go to a cottage and just write in one weekend. Like spend your time there just writing in the weekend. And for me, sitting down to write is really hard. So what mm -hmm. I do instead is I go to, uh, I just write down a post-it note. It's a trick a friend of mine gave me on passing along because I'm still doing this. Just get 10 post-it notes. Uh, sorry, get a stack of post-it notes and just like write down the name of your book, stick it on a wall. Name of the chapters, stick them on the wall. Name uh, like the three bullet points that you want to cover in each chapter. Write those down, stick it underneath the name of the chapter. You want to take the the first bullet point and you want to break that down into how the stories want to go and how you want to write it and tell it. You do that for each one. So by the end, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got about six post-it notes per chapter. So at the end, you're at like maybe 60 post-it notes, mm. if that. And then what you do is you grab a microphone or your phone or even Otter if you want to use Otter. I personally don't. Um, I just pick up the audio. I go. I start talking about the thing that I know that I want to talk about. I get to the end. I do the um, the ah, the bits, the bobs, whatever it is. And finally, what you do is you go ahead and take those same notes, that same energy. You transcribe it. And then you have an editor listen to the notes, listen to the original and read the notes, and then um, edit accordingly. I love that. I love when you're, especially you're talking about like a nonfiction book here, very systematic, very organized, very strategic, yeah. and which is very efficient. Really, I was going to say, but which is really funny because I don't do, I, I don't like, like schedules scare the crap out of me, though I'm starting to keep one a little bit better now. Right. But yeah. yeah. But that, those are the things I definitely cover. Um, yeah. I mean, we can also talk about books if people want to talk about books because there are, there are a lot of books I would recommend. Yeah. Well, um, let's hear it, man. As long as you're bringing that up, let's let's see what's... What's on your list of to do or to reads? Okay. Um, it depends. So are we going from like my copywriting must reads or books that I just recommend to people? Because there are two. Um, I'd love to hear both. I'd love to, I mean, in terms of the copper ones, I'd love to hear why, but um, feel free to give me your greatest hits on, on either category. I actually don't give that many copywriting book recommendations. There are a few, like John Carlton's Kick-Ass Secrets of Marketing Rebel, which I think is like $20 at the moment of this recording, which you should definitely pick up because I paid way more for it back in the day. Yeah, I, I paid about 100 bucks for mine, so yeah. yeah. Or 120 I think. Still a great book. I don't care. Yeah. It's one of the best books out there on copywriting um, for like basics. Uh, so John stuff is there. Then you've got uh, stuff like you got bar, like Gary's Boron Letters, Gary Halbert's Boron Letters. You have hmm. uh, obviously you've got Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz, The Brilliance Breakthrough by Eugene Schwartz. Um, you also have a few other books like Ogilvy on Advertising and just a bunch of other ones that I really have. And they're great books. I mean, I love them. I've read a lot of these and remember them and retain shit from them. Um, but the reality is the place I get most of my ideas is reading other books, books in like other areas, like esoteric knowledge and looking at stuff like stories and how they're structured and psychology behind them and war wounds and how everything really shifts in like a much more powerful manner by understanding these like little tiny bits that no one else is looking at. So for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, so I was reading what to expect when you're expecting mm. uh, a couple of years ago. Because I've read so many, I like parenting books. I actually read them um, and listen to them. As I'm going through them, I'm taking notes. I'm like, huh, this is behavioral psychology on how kids develop as they get older. Or like parenting books on how kids develop. I'm like, okay, what psychological principles apply to children that just apply to us, but not in the same way? Like, these are the original, but how do they derive into like adulthood? Okay, this is how they become. 
great. So now I need to know that I need to like build this kind of behavior within my audience because this is the type of, the type of people they are. Know how to deal with those situations. Very interesting. You know, it's yeah. hearing you say that, it's almost like I'd say anyone that wants to be a master copywriter, you should read child event, developmental psychology books. Like what a brilliant everything. insight. Say again? You should read everything. I mean, mm. child psychology books. I read books on cults. I read books like, like religious books. I read them. I read books on literally everything. I have books on medical psychology and the effects of different drugs on the human brain. Mm. Um, everything. Literally, there's books on history, the Silk Road, like economics, like finances, stories and people. It's like essentially be fascinated by the world around you and you'll never run out of stories to tell. Very interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting to hear. Like me, I went through probably a 15-year period where I read voraciously. And right now I'm at a point where I could barely put a book up or pick a book up because I have so much going on. It, it feels like a drain on me. So I'm going through one of these weird stages where I've taken a step away from it. So it's always good to hear someone that's like still into it. Well, to be fair, I do that too. It's the reason I like audiobooks. Mm. It's like genuinely the reason I have audiobooks. I'm like, there's nothing on that list that I don't feel like, um, so if you, if you find an audiobook version, great. If not, find a summary version of it, great. If not, find a friend that's read it and get them to download all the information to you, great. You don't need to read a whole book. You just need to find the things that relate to you that you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine asked me if I've read all the books that are behind me. I've read the majority of them. I've also like done speed reading courses and I've also got voracious notes and I love Audible. I listen to it 2x speed because I like to, I like speed and Sometimes I listen to it three times and then go down to two and then go up, go to like 1.5 or 2.3. And it just basically really resets my brain to like take all the information in. But the reason that we do it, that the reason that I say read a lot is because it gives you access to information that you can't previously have gotten access to. Like wow. all the knowledge you have is, some, is usually previously someone else's unless you come across a discovery or you went down that rabbit hole yourself and found it. Very interesting. Um, so one thing I want to ask you, if I remember correctly, I mean, you've been writing copy since 2008. Is that professionally? I've actually been like, my experience started when I was like 12. So like 2001, 2002. Got it. So we'll start professionally 2008. You know, you've had your successes, your bumps, Mm -hmm. your bruises. And I imagine you just, you've progressed, you've learned new things. What to you over the past few years stands out as the biggest new aha, new lesson that once you learned it, it accelerated what you were doing even more? There were a few. Number one, one of the biggest ahas was my system for writing copy. Uh, the reason being, the first eight years of my career, I did eight hundred, like I did $350 million in sales for my clients in eight years. Um, in the following four years after I wrote this, I, I discovered this system, my clients went from uh, so the first four, uh, eight years was 350. The next four years was another 350. So I doubled the output in half the time. Mm. Um, so I made the exact same money in eight years for my clients I did in four years, which got me 700 million in 12 years. And like, I'm now entering year 14 of my career. So at the end of 2020, we'll, 2021, we'll find out what that number really is. But I can tell you right now, as of mid-2021, I can comfortably because i don't have from all my clients but i can comfortably say there's another like 14 15 million that's been added easily to that bottom line that's not even directly from my work it was i taught someone my system 
and they used my system as a copywriter to generate another 15 million. Yeah. And just, so just for clients. clarity, if people are, people want it, you, you sell the system, you sell it to yeah, people they want to buy it. it. Yeah, I teach it. If you guys head on over to thecopywritersroom.com, it is a terrible sales letter. I will put my hands up and say that because I wrote that when I was really insecure because that comes to like point number two, which we're going to get to in a moment. But I wrote that when I was in a really bad way and I haven't updated it yet. But if you do decide to pick it up, you can pick it up from my website and get it for half off. Um, but I don't recommend that. And you're like, what? Why would I, why would I want to not recommend getting money off of something? Simple. If you can get it half off, use the use the system, whatever it is, good for you. But if you wait, if you get it at full price, which is going to be a thousand bucks basically, uh, which is nine ninety five right now. Um, so if you get it full price, not only will you get the two point version that comes out in July, but you'll also get access to a new course I'm doing, which is on the seven types of story that you need for your email sequences to build out these templates and specifically how they all work. So you'll get like a list of you'll get a bunch of templates templates. Uh, for each type of email and each type of story base and how you can use them for different emotions. It's a very comprehensive course that we're building on that as well. So you get access to both for a thousand bucks or you can just get the copywriter's room for I think like four, nine, five right now. Um, but you'll have to buy the upgrade as well. I mean, the, the original will still be there, but the upgrade is going to be a lot better because yeah. uh, upgrades. Anyway, and so that's, just, just for people that they're, they're not interested in emails, they're interested in writing sales letters. Would you say this is a good course for that also? Oh, this is a good course if you're interested in writing emails. Like this whole course actually teaches you how to write a sales letter. And the reason it teaches you how to write a sales letter is once you know how to do that, you know how to do everything else. Because mm -hmm. it's the same principles that I show you. You just pick and choose and pick them apart. It's a very easy system to actually follow, to be fair. But that's one of the big ahas. The second was uh, actually to do with self-esteem and confidence around the idea of essentially knowing how to self-promote and how to put yourself out there. Because um, there are several ways to do this. There are brash people who say, I'm amazing, I'm the best, and blah, 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 blah. But they don't have great results. And honestly, that will hurt you in the long term. Because everyone's going to look at you and ah, look at this young upstart, man, whatever. You're doing the same thing everyone else does. Instead, if you work to get good at the skills that you have that are around marketing and promotion, let's just say you're not in the copywriting industry. Let's just say you're in the, I don't know, uh, you're in health and wellness and you're a yoga coach, yoga teacher. What you can do is you can write better copy, write better content, get people to engage with you on a deeper psychological level so they find you more engaging than your competition and other people around you, and they start coming to you. And the people that do come to you end up giving you more money, even if you want to be the most expensive in the market, you can be. Why? Because your words paint a compelling reason why people should work with you. You actually give a better argument than other people, and that's how the course really plays out. Now, knowing yourself, going back into it, Knowing yourself and really having the confidence around it allows you to really charge what you want, how you want, and say who you are almost in every grain and strand around uh, living. Because when you create self-promotion from that place of knowing thyself, you essentially bypass the judgment other people have of you because you don't see it. You're like, I don't give a shit about your judgment. I am myself. And you attract the right ragtag group of people to initially build your stable and then finally build your empire with. Nice. Um, so there's like a way of doing that, especially so that's aha number two is self-promotion and realization of self. The third aha, the first, the third big breakthrough that really changed everything for me in the way that I see things really came down to this idea that, um, I needed, like, it really came down to this idea of giving myself permission. So like for the longest time, I was all about like, adlamarcy.com is going to be like this blog and blah, whatever. And every time I go write it, I'm like, I don't want to do this. 
I don't like messing this up and blah, 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 and all this. And give every excuse under the sun not to do it. Cue fast forward to me looking at 2021 when I started the course, like tragedy in the early part of 2021, uh, slowed down my progress, was looking at the greatest copywriter alive, a domain I'd held for like eight or nine years and actually decided not to do anything with. So I was like, okay, well, eight or nine years, I can finally start claiming this. I'm going to put my stamp on it. I'm not saying I'm the best. I'm saying I'm the greatest. There's a big difference. Mm, and real quick, how do you define that difference? Because that's, that's juicy. I want to hear that. Would you say Muhammad Ali was the best boxer of all time? Okay. I understand or that. Would you say he's the greatest? Got it. We're talking about impact. We're talking about, I got you. Yeah. Cause like, mm. I, I always say it this way, like, the way that I, the, there's a lot of inventions I've created in the marketplace that a lot of people are using. I have no idea that it fucking came from me. Okay. So the whole thing of putting like testimonials on landing pages and squeeze pages to get people to opt in higher. Yeah. 2014 was when I first did that online before anyone else did. People may have put testimonials on brochure websites on brochures. Fine. But no one was doing it on squeeze pages. Mm-hmm. No one was doing that. And Everyone's still using Dave Miz's warning, blah, blah, which they stole from him. And I'll put my hands up and say that I didn't know it was his and he and I have had this discussion before. But it's taking claim of the things that I've done. And that's where the greatness comes in is because I've looked at things and I've asked people, why do you think this is? And they can't give me a solid reason. Like the word learn. I was like, learn is one of the worst words you can have in your copy. And I had some, I had a copywriter, bless him, he's a good dude. He literally said to me, he goes, oh yeah, because it's like a doing word and people don't want to do things. It means that you have to like do movements and blah. I was like, no, just psychologically on a very deep entrenched level. Like I paid like 50,000 US dollars over the last, like for like 10 years of my life total. I paid 50 grand to get people to go on fMRI machines so I can read their brains while I'm actually looking at copy and reading it and seeing what words trigger them and stop them from doing and taking actions. Wow. Yeah, and it's just rooted in fear from school. And since we're there, I can't let this opportunity go. What would you use instead of learn? Oh, discover, uncover, reveal. Uh, instead of teach, I'd use stuff like show, share, um, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It, it's, it's a great way of like using those words and mechanisms. And also getting rid of the word that quite often from your copies. Another one and another is when you're looking at the copy as well, look at the left-hand side of your page and see how you start every paragraph because formatting is key. So also you want to keep it to one, maybe two sentence paragraphs at the very most. One sentence is the best length because formatting is key. Now, if you look down the left-hand side of one of those sentences, you'll see uh, all the way through it has a very interesting um, outline of what this first letter is. If it's too repetitive, like you, 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 I, 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 M, M, and, 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 whatever it is, whatever that goes down, start switching it up. You'll change it around. Uh, Mm. And those are the last things I'll say to you guys before we head out. Yeah. In fact, I got two more quick questions on a squeeze in. Number one, if people want to learn more about your connect, what are the specific websites or any one that you want to put down there? Um, say last part again, sorry. Best way for people to reach out. You can oh, feel free cool. to give me as many links as you want. Okay, so head on over to greatestcopywriteralive.com, opt to my mailing list, get on there, because by the time the show comes out, we'll be actually having a lot more content going on over the year. Uh, and continually, we also have the YouTube channel, which is, uh, again, Greatest Copywriter Alive. So youtube.com forward slash greatest copywriter alive. Um, you can find me on 
uh, fuck, sorry, had a moment. You can find me on Instagram under Grace Copyrights Life or Adel Marcy. I respond to both DMs because I enjoy both. And finally, one last thing, you can head on over to adelmarcy.com. Look at the podcast that we have there for my previous show, which will be retiring at the end of 2021, um, Adel Marcy Unplugged. And you guys can go listen to a lot of the interviews that we have there. Awesome. Cool. And I'll put all the links, the relevant links where people can find them. Last quick question. If you can go back in time, any point in time, and give any piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what would that advice be? Uh, for the sake of time, I could really ramble on this. I'm going to give you guys just a very quick piece of advice I'd give myself um, at a different time. Number one, don't give up. Two, stop. don't ever stop working out. And number three, um, make as many mistakes as you want, but know that you're going to be okay. Adel Marsti, you are the man. Thank you so much for sharing time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insight. And I always appreciate these kinds of conversations, man. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Take care and I'll speak to you guys real soon. Thank you, Adel. That was an amazing conversation. I truly appreciate you. And I'm going to make sure to put all the links that you listed in the video description where I have this on YouTube and at ShatteredAmoldPodcast.com where this episode resides. And as long as I'm giving out links, here's a quick reminder to anyone that has not done so already, feel free to check out LastLawOfAttractionBook.com where you can check out my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read. Or you can hit up YouTube.com slash AndrewCap. With that said, uh, that's all I've got for you today. But I will be back soon with another awesome guest. Thanks so much for listening. I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. <laughs>